Right. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Um, I hope you're not already asleep because uh, I'm only just beginning. It is good to see you. It's come to that time where uh, Lou and I and the kids, we have to farewell. We have to finish up here at Gladesville. I'm not really sure how I meant to feel as I pass the baton over to our new youth minister, Simeon. I'm not quite sure what it is I'm meant to be feeling. Um, perhaps I need to echo the words of John the Baptist who said, After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. Or maybe it's the words of the preacher in Ecclesiastes. Sometimes a person has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill and must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. (laughs) Either way, it's a handover. It's the passing on of the crown titled Youth Minister. Uh, Don't be alarmed. I don't mean to use the word crown in order to inflate the position or our egos, except that, in a sense, it is right that we say this. Simeon and myself... Everyone here who are believers in the Lord Jesus have been honoured the prestigious title of royal family under our great king. And just as Christ reigns, so we also share in that reign. And just as Christ has been crowned, we too all wear a royal crown. But we know, right, that the crown signifies more than position. The crown signifies purpose. We carry out the purpose by wearing the crown. And the crown is there to signify there is a job to do. That job is summed up nicely in Ephesians 1.10, which says this, The purpose of all things, what God is aiming for, is to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. You see our purpose in that? Or even more clearly in 1 Corinthians 15.50, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that work is not in vain. Now the two Bible readings, obscure they may be, but did you notice the common theme in both of them? Two crowns of Christ. The first crown, the cruel and unjust suffering, the crown of thorns, where Jesus is enthroned on a bed of disgrace. But the second crown in Revelation, that crown of glory in a heavenly throne room, the first crown, a temporary but painful one, the second, eternal and beautiful. The first crown made perfect in weakness, the second crown perfected in power. For Jesus, there could not be one without the other. First, the crown of thorns, and then the crown of glory. And for us in the royal family, for Simeon and myself, and you here today who believe in Jesus, for all the believers throughout the world, to be royal means to wear both crowns. We are promised both crowns. A life marked with suffering and toil, but also an eternal life basking in the glory of victory, peace, and perfection, first one and then the other. Now, here's the reason why I chose this idea today and these passages. You see, Louise and I and the kids, we're about to embark on a new journey, 
we're going to be wearing a slightly different crown. It's a crown that's currently unfamiliar to us. And I suspect there will be a temptation to stop, to give in, to kind of balk at the mission set before us. There will be joys, but there will also be persecutions. I suspect there will be suffering and hardship along the way. And so I preach this sermon to myself and to Lou and the family and to you to say this, that I want us all to be driven by two crowns, expecting one and longing for the other. And I pray that you too will live your life expecting to wear the crown of thorns whilst holding on to that longing for that eternal crown of glory. These are the two crowns of Christ I speak about today. So I want to have a look at the first one, the crown of thorns. We find that in John 19, if you wouldn't mind turning to it. It is the infamous arrest scene where Jesus is handed over to be crucified. If you're following in the points in the outline, this is the first point, know your crown. Have a look at John 19 verses 1 and 2 and he says this, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. Now those of us familiar with the Gospels will know that it's quite rare to have a scene or a detail recorded in all four Gospels. I think there's less than 20 of them in all. This scene is one of them. The robing and crowning of Jesus the great mockery. Matthew and Mark and John specifically mention that crown of thorns. John mentions it twice. Whereas Luke, he simply says, they placed on him an array of splendid clothing. But this is essentially what happened. The soldiers, they place a purple robe on Jesus. It's the color of royalty of the time. It's the sort of robe a vassal prince would wear. And they crown him, not with a crown, but with a wreath. And that wreath is not made of gold-lined leaves like you would normally see of the time. Instead, it's made of thorns, likely from the branches of a local shrub or perhaps even the date palm. The thorns would have turned outwards to mimic the Hellenistic wreaths. However, there's no doubt some of those thorns would have turned inwards, scraping and the skull and drawing blood. Either way, the intent of all four Gospels is clear. In Jesus' toughest hour, he is mocked. He is shown contempt. They laughed at him and he is despised. Even though he created the world, the world is mistreating him. And that crown of thorns has become, if you like, like a symbol of Jesus' suffering. And though he was rich beyond all measure, for love's sake... He takes on that suffering. He becomes poor, despised and rejected by all of mankind, looked upon with disdain and contempt. The people hated him and thought very little of him. This crown, the crown of thorns, is a crown of disgrace. Today, I just simply want to remind us what we already know, but maybe we've forgotten, maybe we've ignored, Perhaps we pretended it's not true. And it's this, that the crown of thorns is reserved also 
for us who believe. We are promised that in this life there will be persecution, hardships and troubles. And I want us not to be surprised as if something unusual is happening, as if this is not meant to be happening. I want us to be ready when we feel the effects of that crown. See, some of us might be hoping for a successful life, one of glory, honour and supremacy. We might be desperate to win the favour of those outside of these walls, desperately seeking approval from the world around us. And if this is what we're hoping for, then I think this crown is a reminder that the one we should expect is the one that Jesus wore, the crown of thorns. Friends of Christ Church Gladesville, if Christ wears a crown of thorns, let's not covet a crown of praise. When we do serve God and his people and this world, do not expect, don't, do not expect any reward from others, except maybe to be misunderstood, suspected and abused. Often the best of the world are spoken least of because an evil world cannot speak well of holy people. The preacher Spurgeon wrote quite aptly, he said this, the probabilities are that the crown you will win in this world if you serve God will contain more spikes than sapphires and more briars than beryls. Know the crown that may be before us as we seek to serve the Lord. There's one thing to recognise that crown, but it's another thing to actually put it on. In this second point of my sermon, I want to urge and exhort us not just to know the crown, but to pick it up and wear it. Not with arrogance or a martyrdom complex, but rather in joyful confidence because, folks, there is work to be done. In preparing for this sermon and this idea, I did some research on our great monarch, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth. And I'm not sure if you knew this. I certainly didn't. But I know now, according to Wikipedia, that she only wears her crown when Parliament is in session. So she begins Parliament with a speech and is wearing her crown when she does it. Now, there's two reasons for this. The one is because it's a reminder of her authority in the affairs of the kingdom. But secondly, the crown symbolises a job to be done. When the crown is on, it's work time. And I think that's helpful for us because each one of us has been given a job to do. Every one of us has been given a crown that symbolises the work that God has appointed for us here on earth. These jobs, these responsibilities, they vary in nature and in they vary in size. But they do not vary in importance. So if anything, today, this sermon is an encouragement to grab the crown of responsibility God is giving you. To pick it up and to wear it and to get to work. Now God's given us clear instructions about what we are to do in this world. I've already mentioned part of it, but look at what Ephesians 2.10 says. It says this, that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But get this, they're the good works that God has prepared for us in advance. 
He has matched the things he wants you to do with the person that you are. God is good like that. Getting to work on what God has called you to do, to wear that crown. Far be it for us to put that work off, to delay the work, to seek a more comfortable life. Now, I don't know, some of you may even today realize that you've been given a promotion at work, wearing a slightly different crown to what you were wearing just previously. Maybe some of you have been invited to lead here at church in a kids' ministry program or something like that. Maybe some of you are just recently parents, others recently married. Every responsibility that is now placed before you has this overall purpose, that unity under Christ, doing the work that God has set before you in that role with that crown on. Even if it brings suffering, discomfort, and self-denial. And so I wanted to speak to a few groups in the room. If that's okay, I can't speak to everyone. It would go forever. But firstly, I just wanted to speak to dads in the room, those of you who are fathers, and maybe even grandfathers as well. We have been chosen by God to raise our families in true, genuine faith to lead by example in our faith. I think the kingdom will shake with joy and Satan will tremble with fear when men, fathers and grandfathers, start leading their families and continue leading their families in faith. Men, the sermon is not the time to fall asleep. The sermon is not the time to switch off and get that well-earned rest that you deserve. This is the time to be filled with the Word of God. We, fathers and dads and grandfathers, must embrace the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life, like worship, reflection, discipling our families in faith, modelling the faith to our families. We are called by God to lead in this way. That is our crown to wear. Wear it with joy. To all the women in the room, I think God has called you to so many responsibilities. One of them is to exhort and encourage younger women to love God and to serve Him. I can think of no greater need for our teenage women right now to be nurtured, discipled, listened to, cared for and rebuked by grown, mature, older women of the church. You know it as well as I do. These are confusing times for our young people. And a stable, wise voice is exactly what is needed for them. So I want to ask you this question. Would you be willing to lead and disciple a young woman for Jesus? Because if you were, I guarantee you there are young women that would gladly accept that from you. And we can talk about that. I want to talk to the youth leaders and children's leaders who are here in the room right now. You have such an important role. You are nurturing the faith amongst young people. Don't shy away, but be role models. Live out your faith loudly and do not be ashamed of Jesus. Work hard for our little ones and our not-so-little ones because they are precious in our sight, but they're precious in God's sight as well. School teachers, forget Instagram influencers. You guys are influencers. 
You are social influencers. School teachers, like it or not, you are shaping entire communities of kids and their families. This is a crown of great significance. What is it that Christ is calling you to do? Whatever that is in your field, do it for him. Influence for him. Do not be afraid to wear your faith at school. Do not shy away from the task of being a light to young people. If you're an experienced teacher, can I suggest something? Right now at Evening Church, there are so many young Christians starting out their careers as teachers. Would you consider connecting with them, getting alongside them, asking how it's going for them, sharing about what it's like to be a teacher in a school, which is increasingly becoming harder and harder? Would you pray for them and help them and let them pray for you? Now, anyone here that's in management, in positions of leadership in the corporate world, this is a world I am completely unfamiliar with. I've heard a bit about it, but I don't know anything about it. But what I do know is this. There are ways that you can lead as Christ would want you to lead. Managers can lead in a way that brings care to a person, not just caring for the bottom line. In that workforce, you can create a culture of trust and not fear. Paying what is rightfully due, even beyond what is due. Honouring the state and paying the taxes which are right and fair and not withholding. All of us, and they're just some of the groups that I've spoken to today, all of us can and we must live wearing the crowns and getting the work done. Bring glory to Christ in every single way. Again, in my preparation, I found the Dutch royal family. They don't wear their crown. Since the turn of the 19th century, they've refused to wear the crown. They have a crown, but they just don't wear it. Because in 1815, when Wilhelm I became monarch, the newly created Protestant kingdom of the Netherlands included Belgium, which was a Catholic region. And it raised this problem about who was going to put the crown on the king's head, the Catholics or the Protestants. And in, in order to avoid the potential conflict, they came up with a decision that they would simply not wear the crown and just place it on a side on a cushion. Now, I think in the same way we're tempted to do that, aren't we? We're probably conflict avoiders. And when something seems too difficult, we seek the path of least resistance. And we might be tempted to avoid the duties that we know God has given us. Now, the problem with that is, that if we're diminishing God's work in this world, we're diminishing the potential growth that can happen to bring all things under him. So I think we need to step up. It is hard and we need to be courageous. But we need to step up and wear the crown that Christ has given us. Know your crown and wear it with joy. You might remember that there were two passages in the sermon. I've talked about the crown of thorns but in my third and final point, I want to point to that second crown and that, that picture of the royal throne, Revelation chapter 4, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. And my point is this, be ready to cast your crown. This is my third point. There's a, there's a line in the hymn, the old hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. We sang it today deliberately. And you might remember the song. It says, Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee, Casting down their golden crowns around the glassy 
see. Now, I don't want to get into what the glassy sea is, right? That's not for me today. But what is this casting down their golden crowns? What does that mean? Well, in further study, I was led to Revelation 4, our second passage. And we see here, a, a, there's a whole bunch of characters in Revelation chapter 4. There are these beasts that are interesting, giving glory to God. And there's, there's what we now know to be Jesus on the throne. But there's these 24 elders. And they're the ones wearing the crowns. And the 24 elders are in front and they take their crown off and put it at the feet of the one sitting on the great throne. Now, some commentators and theologians think perhaps these 24 elders might be a heavenly governing council of some description. And they represent kind of all believers, perhaps. Other theologians think that the 24 represents 12 representing those of the old covenant and 12 representing those of the new covenant. That is, all of those who have believed in God throughout both covenants. Either way, these 24 elders lay their crowns at the throne They're giving back to God what he first gave to them. They're relinquishing their crown, their authority, and they're ascribing glory to God as their sovereign ruler. Interestingly, this was quite common in antiquity. Cicero records that when Tigranes, the king of Armenia, first met the great Gnaeus Pompeius Magnus, he fell down at feet and cast his crown at Pompey's feet, who then picked it up and placed it back on his head. In the same way, Josephus records that King Herod, when he met Augustus Caesar at Rhodes, when he entered the city, he took his crown off, put it at Caesar's feet, when Caesar gladly picked it up and placed it back on his head. To cast the crown before the throne was a token of respect and a reminder that they were not truly equals. It was an act of humility. When the 24 cast their crowns at Jesus' feet, it's a gesture that they owe their triumph to him. They owe it to him that they're crowned at all. And folks, that is our end as well. That is what we are headed towards. One day, we will cast our crowns, our symbols of authority, those painful crowns of thorns, We will cast them at the victorious Jesus Christ and we will lay them at his feet. And I think that fills me with such relief. I don't know about you. One day, our work will be done. We will hand back to the Lord the talents that he gave us and he will rule us and everything. And I think it fills me with humility too. If there is any success in the crown that I wear, It's not really for my name. My job is to bring glory to Jesus. I'm reminded not to be a glory hunter and not to be a self-promoter. The crown is to bring Christ all praise and one day I'll throw that crown at his feet. And like Pompey and like Caesar, Christ will re-crown us again, but not with that crown of thorns. It's with the everlasting crown of glory of joy, of victory, and of peace. That's the crown we will wear forever. Therefore, we entrust ourselves to Jesus' words in Revelation 2, where he says this, Be faithful unto death, 
and I will give you the crown of life. And 3.11, hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Folks, be faithful and hold fast, even till death. Never give up the work the Lord has assigned you. Take it on. Wear that crown of joy. But don't be surprised in the meantime if you're mistreated or disliked, because you know that one day you will cast the crown of thorns before our King, and He will reign forever and ever. I'm going to invite the band up, if you wouldn't mind, and then I'm going to pray. The next song we're going to sing is Yet Not I, But Christ in Me. And it's this like, powerful song to remind us that anything that happens, if we make it to the end, was not us, but Christ working in us. I think that's really fitting to sing this at the end of this sermon. Let's pray. Father, speak to us today as you already have. Remind us what you've called us for and what you are calling us to. Lord, help us to wear our crown with courage and to live it out. But Lord, fill us with the joy of knowing that one day we'll place that at your feet. Amen.